Welcome to Shred is Not Dead. If it makes you bang your head, we'll talk with them or about them. I'm joined here today by Ivor, the drummer for The Mighty Enslaved. How are you today? I'm great. And yourself? Can't complain, besides the, uh, the little bout of the flu we were just talking about. But uh, Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it happens that's to us how it all. goes. Yeah. Uh, see, exactly. see you have your... Uh, See you have your uh, road Australian road mic ready and, and everything that's appropriate for um, you know you know how we pronounce it in Norway. Yeah, how do with, you pronounce uh, it? Röda. Röda. Okay. Be- because it has the Norwegian uh, letter. The, the what 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 the English speak- speaking people uh, tend to um, I see they think it's just uh, uh, typography, but it's actually it's it's a different letter. It's ö. Uh, not O. Oh, there you go. Well, I'll uh, I'll be sure to correct all my mates on that when they come around and see the gear. Yeah, you, you see, uh, you see quite a lot of uh, like uh, ads and posters, uh, and even album titles where where people use the er, uh, which is extremely more uh, uh, funny to to us Scandinavians because it the only thing that does is that it makes your. Um, hardcore uh, fancy album title sound like inspector clouseau because <laughs> <laughs> it's just anybody anybody there in the fog <laughs> <laughs> oh the pink panther that's a throwback the one that gets well, so- me and i love behemoth like i'm out now i'm a huge behemoth fan but i really every time i read the latin v in their song titles their album titles uh, yeah. since it's not something we use in, you know, Australian English or most uh, English dialects, it really throws me for six every time I try and put vert in where it doesn't belong. <laughs> well, the, that's the that's the issue with uh, being fancy with the titles. And um, I, I won't mention names, but I, I got the pet peeve with the, the er off my chest, at least. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of album names, Heimdall. Yeah. So, great, great little- pronunciation, by the way. Oh, thank you. The Norse god who watches for the onset of Ragnarok, um, often referred to as the god of foresight for that reason. I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of uh, information about that and bring it back around to the theme of the record. Is uh, what's in a what's in a name? Yeah, well, it's it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty broad subject, and um, uh, probably the the lyricists in the band would be. Uh, better at going into the subtleties of it all but um on in in more general terms the way we deal with the norse mythology uh and using it in enslaved is not it's not your marvel-esque just cartoonish retelling of the stories that are kind of um lacking in in their original complexity anyway because mm. um it has been for for so many years now using the mythology as a kind of starting point and guideline for more abstract or and philo- philosophical musings if you will so um the kind of the, the the inspiration and the what what info is available to us uh, of Heimdall is available to anyone to, if they want to do the research and uh, what was his um, what was his uh, original role 
uh, as it is described in the fragments that we do have, because that's what's interesting about him is that it's very, it's kind of a mysterious character because the, there is no like complete picture to be found of who he really is. He's mentioned in um, in different sources in kind of different ways and and different. Uh, he has give, been given. Um, differing qualities uh, in the in the sources that we do have so yeah he's he's kind of uh, described in the in the the myth of Ragnarok and uh, and as the guardian of Oscar and all that and that um, that is being used more as a starting point for uh yeah for the more philosophical um, in inward thought process more than uh, th this is not an album describing the fall of Oscar, uh, um, like literally. It's mm. more like what what does what the, does those um, myths and uh, and stories signify? Well, one thing is what they did signify for the people back then. Uh, what's more in interesting is. Uh, what universal um, factors can we find in in this mythology or these stories that has value for um, us in the time that we're living now, which is extremely different from what it was uh, mm. in Norway at eight nine hundred AD. Sure, and for me, that's something I've always really loved about Enslaved as a band, um, and as set that you guys apart from say you know i'm on a math for argument's sake who have their thing that's fine um but really yeah, i agree a lot of people totally is... i'm i'm not i'm not slagging people off it's no of course like not. if uh, if you um it's totally fine the other thing as well and hmm. i mean i i like my i like my cartoonish viking stories when i was a kid as well <laughs> that's kind of what brought us all uh into this i guess so sure but for most people religion isn't a, uh, a a superhero story past the text in their daily lives. And I think that Enslaved do a really good job of discussing, as you said, the ideas and the concepts and the the morals, if mm. you will, um, that come with the beliefs and with the stories. And it's just another uh, facet. And I think it's really uh, interesting. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I would... Uh... For me, I'm I'm not a religious man at all. Uh, mm. So f for me, I don't even. I wouldn't count myself as a also true uh, follower <laughs> or any or follower of of any religion. It, but uh, the basis of any religion uh, is, of course, created. It it comes from the. Um, the society where it is created, either to uh, control people, as uh, at least that's the way religion works um, to a large extent now, uh, or in in these older nature-based religions, it kind of offered uh, guidelines or solutions to very uh, concrete problems. Mm. Like, uh, of course, if if you're from a tiny island like I am, uh, and my ancestors were like 
we've been living there for as long as you can trace um, the history back. Uh, of course, it makes sense to have a god uh, of the sea because that's it. It's what both nurtures you and um, makes you survive as well as kills you and and drowns you, which is very, which has been very real for my family for a thousand years. Sure. Yeah. When something like that becomes such a central part of your life, you know, every facet of your day, uh, especially, you know, when you are talking about a long time ago, like we were earlier, um, there isn't much to do besides eat, reproduce and hang out and yeah. think. And, and when you're not eating stuff that's come from the sea and trying to survive the sea to reproduce, you're thinking about all the other stuff going on and it seems to all revolve around that. So. Yeah. Well, you get, well, we all, we also get colored by the circumstances we live in, of course, and that, that influences mm. our thought processes. And um, that would have been, uh, the case at any given time uh, and at any given place. But um, to get get back to how how can we use those things or, or those stories and the, uh, uh, those starting points like to get something uh, sensible out of it today, it would maybe be to not ignore um, nature as much as we are doing these mm. days like most of us are living in cities and we don't really relate to um nature and uh, and the natural uh, going and birth and dying of things um as much other than for uh, just jogging or <laughs> taking <laughs> hiking in the in the mountains you don't have to depend on the mountain or the ocean as much anymore although we of course we still do it's just not mm. uh, an everyday thing for most people yeah and it's interesting i think uh in australia in particular but i did see shall we say elements of this in norway um more and more people living in cities and that are actually quite divorced from the concept of where the sustenance, be it crops, be it livestock, are coming from. And the the way of life as a, a stockman or a farmer or whatever is still well and truly alive in Australia. It's one of our biggest industries. Mm. But for most people, it's something they never think about. And tourism into the parts of the world where this, these things are happening, uh, you know, I'm guilty of it when I went to Norway. Um, you know, seeing all the natural sites around Bergen was stunning. Um, but that isn't to say that I was one with the natural world. If anything, I was a, no. a traveler through it uh, and was looking through the glass, so to speak, not actually engaging with it. And perhaps, you know, that's, as you say, something that's gone a little bit wrong with the way we're choosing to live. Yeah. The, or at least something we need to consider. The, 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 word, the word that you actually used is, uh, I think it's quite uh, quite accurate for, uh, for most of us. We're, um, our interaction with nature are, uh, or is, um, is more like uh, as a tourist these days. Because mm. you, can, you can go there and then you go back. It's not like you, um, you have to relate to it and depend on um, 
on nature or the natural order of things. Mm. Yeah. So to to bring it back a little bit to to music and to enslaved. Yes, um, please. Yes. The please. reason I did <laughs> find my way over to Bogan last year was to see yourselves, uh, Emperor and Mayhem perform in Grieg Hall. Fantastic concert, and it left me reflecting a lot on what black metal is, what heavy metal is, why we travel to the other side of the world to sit in a room and listen to music. Um, in particular, the, the the thing that captured me about Enslaved is this paradox where Viking Leovaldi sounded um, true to the record, but also true to what Enslaved are doing now. And particularly on Heimdall, I think really um, mm. captures this sound it's raw it's aggressive it's not what the purists would call black metal you know it's not like you guys are demisterious part two but enslaved mm. have always been an essential part of that movement when it happened back in the 90s so as a band how do you navigate having a sound is being black metal something you actively think about is it in your DNA as a band. Um, I'm not sure how else to ask that question, so I hope it no, makes no. sense to you. Um, well, firstly, the, uh, Ivar and Grutle have always said that they are not a black metal band. Sure. So, so that gets that out of the way. Yeah, um, of course. But of, but of course, those elements, the, the musical elements are there, and mm. like Mayhem or Euronymous was a huge... Uh, um, influence on them uh, early on as he was for for a lot of guys uh, I didn't know him, I wasn't part of the scene back then at all hmm. uh, so th there is this um, there is a heritage there, of course it is and, and, and that's never been, I feel Enslaved has never left that behind, that's not part of the, the evolution that 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 the band has has gone through it's more about always building on um on that heritage and keeping the uh, keeping the elements that you feel work uh, along with the new elements that you bring in so i don't think you it, it's not so much conscious um but every now and then it is like uh, um a song from uh, a song from the new album uh, Congelia, for instance, where we actually spoke about how about we do a song featuring that the slow blast, uh, like the kind of uh, primitive dark throne ish beat, uh, which is, is is not really a blast beat because it's too slow, <laughs> but it's just really um, uh, it has a lot of resistance to it, um, like we. Uh, in Enslaved, we have always referred to that beat as the cross-country skiing uh, <laughs> blast beat. And, and uh, some, uh, some of the other... Uh, uh, I was talking to, um, talking to Harald Demonas from Immortal the other day, and, um, and we, somehow we got into talking about this beat, and, and then it turned out uh, that they had another name for it, but it was we were both referring to like Dark Throne and the the slow blast beat, and uh, mm. he referred to it as the opposition beat because you know the way Fenris is always in opposition to everything. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, gotcha. So, and and he's doing a lot of cross country skiing. So, <laughs> parallel uh, and in Enslaved, it's called the cross country skiing beat, and in the Immortal, it was called the opposition, opposition. beat. Uh, I can see him having a laugh so, but, to himself about that. That's quite yeah, funny. Yeah, but going back to the um, uh, the Viking Legervaldi uh, gig, what is also uh, interesting about that that it's probably the one album. Uh, that most strongly had that Krautrock uh, German electronic music feel mm. to it that didn't really come that strongly back into Enslaved uh, for quite a few years after that. And I know Ivar has said that when we did that the first time in 2017, that he felt that it was the first time that album was played by musicians who kind of uh, were able to give uh, that influence uh, a bit more weight and uh, perhaps understand it in another way that I'm not saying that the the lineups before did uh, bad versions of those songs, but it was just something mm -hmm. about doing the whole album and song like Midgash Eldar had never been played live before. And uh, with the sensibilities of um, uh, Håkon and and hopefully me, um, I love that that same music like the, the old Kratrock stuff like Noi and Kraftwerk and you kind of bring that dynamic into the black metal uh, sphere if you hmm. if you will. And I also know that that was also a big part of um, early enslaved and and how guys like Euronymous influenced. Ivar and Grutle, not by piling black metal albums on them, but saying, oh, no, you should check out this this album, this uh, weird electronic thing from Germany, uh, rather than the latest black metal thing. So, um, yeah, it's, th there's definitely a line that goes from all the way from Viking Ligervaldi up to Utgar and, and Heimdall where those uh, influences are, um, well, let's face it, they're more blatantly uh, obvious. Because <laughs> may maybe we're now, we're more comfortable with just, yeah, this is, this comes from there and uh, let's just explore it to, uh, to the fullest. Hmm. And it's interesting that that gig in particular, the three bands that were on and the, the albums that were presented, it really had this quite interesting dynamic to it in that a lot of you were very young. Um, Emperor in particular, I think off the top of my head, Isan can't have been much more than 18 when this album was originally conceived, no, if I've I got my yeah. facts right. Yeah, I think I think him and Ivar, they were uh, they were about the same age and they are they were very young, both of them. Mm. Now I'm I'm not much older than that myself, but I look back on myself now as an 18 year old and think that I know nothing about the world and my music tastes back then were severely underdeveloped. Yeah. But it's quite <laughs> beautiful to see all these years later that these albums have both matured, but the musicians performing them have almost grown into them, contrary to what might seem logical, that you as musicians have developed across the whole black metal scene there, but especially, you know, Enslaved, um, and are performing these songs in a way that does the original justice that 
let's face it, might have been a bit of accidental brilliance at the time. I don't know. I don't want to be mean, but I don't no, mean that in a nasty it, way. No, no, but um, of course, the, the riffs are what they are, and they're, they're, they're well-written, and, and the, mm. and the song, song structures are adventurous uh, and, and really mature in one way. But I totally agree. Of course, mm. back then, both because they were so young, and because of budgets and uh, like technical, uh, whatever um, technical limitations they had to work around. Um, so sure, a lot of it uh, bound to be accidental. Like uh, a, a drum fill, <laughs> the funny story they told me from uh, one of the early recordings that a drum fill went wrong and kind of uh, it caused kind of a train wreck in a song, and I don't remember which one at the moment. But they they didn't have time to do it again. There was no budget for that, so they just covered it up with a huge um, thunder strike. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> just oh oh, the, the band fell apart. Well, pile on some thunder, and we'll mask it. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's fantastic. So but, uh, oh, sorry, go on. But, but I think it, oh, sorry. Um, but maybe there's there's also an aspect of yeah coincidence and um, the music, of course, was good. But since they managed to get some level of success with it as early on, mm. you they were able to continue playing that music and for the. For, I'm, I'm sure there are lots, lots of other 17, 18-year-olds who maybe were doing interesting stuff, but it didn't go anywhere. So then you, then you leave it behind more, and 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 you just consider it a part of your teenage years, and and you don't revisit it. So you, it's probably easier to just view it as youth sins then. <laughs> but but for these people, it became their life very mm. early on. Yeah. So, the, so then so then you build on that more organically uh, from there because you, you don't leave it behind because it's what you build the next thing on and the next thing on. And, you know. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. And so to talk about your part in Enslaved, now this is the second full length that you've drummed on. Uh, but yeah, I believe you have been in, involved in the band for a while on in the engineering and uh, production side of things. Is that correct? Yes. Um, the first album that I engineered and co-produced was Axioma. The mm-hmm. back then it was because uh, they they needed somewhere to do the drum recordings uh, for that one, and that's when we started working together in that sense. But uh, that was also uh, uh, coming after uh, we had a side project with uh, Ivar and Grutla and uh, Eisdale in the, and the no- Norwegian noise uh, du- female duo. Called, well, they were called female. Uh, the band uh, Trinakria, hmm. which was a, a commissioned project uh, back in 2008, 7, 8, uh, that I was drumming for. And like a year year before that, I did uh, a special project where Enslaved performed 
the songs of Rune uh, to uh, to a screening of a, a Swedish silent movie from 1917. Um, and Kato, the previous drummer, he was off fishing, so he couldn't do it. So they asked me. Uh, so it's it's been kind of building, and we've been friends since before that. Uh, cover, uh, like playing the odd cover at jam sessions and uh, side projects and stuff. So hmm. it it was more a case of back in 2010, I uh, they needed a, a place in Bergen, and they knew I was working, of course, uh, as a producer and engineer. So it kind of built from there. So when I finally ended up being the full-time drummer, it was just uh, an in-house solution. Yeah, and I suppose it would have helped the dynamics of the band um, when Utgard came around and they needed a drummer that, you know, there's no uh, no cold calling, no introductions really necessary, just off you go. Yeah, exactly. And I had recently been uh, subbing for Kato on a, on a few gigs just prior to that. So then I was kind of up to speed um, with the drumming as well, but I, I hadn't really been playing metal that much for quite a few years before that. Mm. So one thing I think Enslaved did really well over COVID, and I don't want to drag on the COVID stuff. Don't worry, I'm not going to go there. I know you're probably sick of it, but the live stream shows, um, the Vertet series in particular, brilliant really enjoyed them and i think that the way enslaved did them had this really cool feel to them in that it was it was it wasn't trying to make you feel like you were at a gig it was almost mm. like um sitting in on a private rehearsal session but the rehearsal was uh immaculately performed do you see as a band a role for these types of things moving ahead since they were quite good or now that touring's resumed do you feel they're kind of pointless well i definitely don't feel that they are pointless because it's um at least the way we chose to approach them uh then it's an expression on its own it's it's Mm. a different kind of thing but of course um the circumstances being what they were uh, kind of uh, necessitated us spending our energy and budgets on things like that. Uh, and and we did it to such an extent that it would probably be a while till next time we do something in in that vein. Uh, but I'm I'm really glad you picked up on how that differed from uh, from how a lot of other people tried to to solve it at least because it, it mm. when the whole thing struck it it became obvious to me extremely quickly when I, when we saw how people tried to do those online gigs that they were not taking into consideration that it's not a normal gig. And it mm. just became really embarrassing watching um, some people trying to act like it was a normal gig. So when we we were doing the first, just prior to us doing the first one, because we, as everyone else, we were um, wondering how to do it. 
and luckily we got to watch a few other people <laughs> failing at how <laughs> in 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 my uh humble opinion at how to do it so we always been fans of um live at pompeii by pink floyd for oh, instance yes. which uh, the 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 all these streams um stream gigs uh, were kind of our attempt to f okay finally now we are going to do our own version of live at pompeii and then we uh, we chose to set up like that uh, okay this is no this is no gig there are cameras to document uh, the interaction between the musician that's what interest that's what's uh, interesting here not mm. not us speaking to the or acting towards the camera i guess i guess the big band stream was a tiny bit more like that the last one that's a that's a bit more um outward performance oriented but that's also to do with the sheer size of the ensemble mm. that we we had to approach that a little bit differently from the from the previous year when we really did that ban in a circle uh but we did four of those so we uh, i feel that we explored that uh, and maybe perhaps the below the lights rendition was the most successful uh, like visually of those uh in my opinion but then the the last one the big band stream is also uh, I'm, I'm also really happy with that so maybe it was it was also good for us to change that uh, thought of the setup a little bit and then then it was kind of moving the circumstances were also moving uh, a bit towards uh, focusing on the outward performance again mm. and and it made sense with the uh, those uh, hefty visuals that we had planned for that one hmm. which was more um, uh, yeah incorporated and it was it was going to be a huge part of it so um finalizing that it will has it got uh, do they have the place definitely i think it i think they will stand the test of time when you go back and see them in a couple of years hmm um also you can't rule out the circumstances um because for the next 20 years everyone will remember uh what brought this about but it will also you you don't have to have been alive in 1970 to appreciate love at pompeii so um uh, Maybe um, maybe this is me not being very humble, but uh, in in some small way, I hope that these uh, documents can can survive. Um, I, d I don't think they will reach the same status as uh, that concert film, but uh, <laughs> but at least it's uh, it's our uh, contribution to the concert film. Uh, uh library if you will uh yeah and um, it, and it, it 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 has value and it will continue to have value and i won't rule out us doing something like it in the future because when doing these huge productions you you do learn uh quite a bit about 
both how expensive it is <laughs> and how good a concept you need to have for it not to fall through. Mm. So, um, and those concepts can be um, intricate and um, uh, or very simple. Like that that simple uh, twist that we did with not uh, trying to perform like a normal gig that did the whole trick. Mm. And when you talk about you know documenting things, I think that that's the the beauty of that format. And live at Pompeii is probably the best example of that that you can bring up. Um, you know, my mum and her brother. That's a more their time, and I've. Yeah got a deep love for that performance as well. It really has stood the test of time because it's not Pink Floyd pretending to prevent uh, t- to present to an audience that isn't there. It's Pink Floyd doing what Pink Floyd do. And you get to see exactly. the nuts and bolts of how they put their stuff together and in a way that you'd have to be in a rehearsal to see otherwise. Um, and there's plenty of footage of them performing live concerts to live audiences if that's what you like to see instead so why fake exactly it? yeah I, I, and then uh, a normal live gig is also just an as adventurous an undertaking to to document properly and you really can't document it properly mm. uh, that's one thing and uh, i mean if if you want to document how it felt being there maybe the 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 ever-present uh, smartphone recording is just as uh, cool as uh, the big production uh, uh, of of the live show because it it will never be like being in the crowd anyway. Mm. And it'd be remiss of me not to ask any plans to come into Australia. And it's been a while oh, since I wish. Have been out. <laughs> yeah, twenty eighteen. Uh, yeah, was right. The last time. Yeah, uh, I would love to. Uh, no, no plans as of yet. Um, but yeah, I I hope we can come back. But it's uh, it's about both economics and other logistics, of course. Uh, yeah, because yeah. it it hasn't become easier uh, <laughs> going down there, just uh, from the. Just the price of uh, plane tickets and and everything, but uh, yeah, we we would love to come back if the stars align. Well, I, I certainly hope that they do. Um, it, Ivor, did I pronounce that right? Yes. Uh, or it, it it's funny that uh, when <laughs> when we have two people in the band with almost identical names, it. It doesn't help that in Ivar's uh, pronunciation, he doesn't really make a difference between his name and mine. It <laughs> sounds almost the same. So, um, so if it either you say I, I would say Ivar in uh, in Norwegian, but Ivar is also quite fine. Well, Ivar, I uh, appreciate your time. Thank you for being on oh, the show. Oh, that's very good. And, that's very uh, good. Thank you very much. I've uh, I've been working on it, <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully we see you. Uh, down under or I managed to find myself in Norway when enslaved to playing again soon um, all the best likewise to you sir okay the Shred is not dead podcast is back for 2023 that was Ivar Sandoy of Norwegian black metal legends enslaved 
Their new album Heimdall is out now to listen to. Go give it a listen. And thanks for rejoining us for what should be another good year of talking heavy metal and all things music. Thanks for coming by.